0: Hey guys, I'm really excited to announce we are going to be doing a giveaway. What this is going to be is a two-man, two-day guided waterfowl hunt on November 18th and 19th in Northeast Kansas with Steady Wing Outfitters. In order to be signed up for the drawing, there's four things I need you to do. You need to go on to Instagram and follow the Steady Wing Outfitters Instagram page. You have to follow the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. In that Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page, I'm going to be making a post about the giveaway. In that post, I need you to tag three friends in it, and then you have to subscribe to the podcast. Once you've done all four of those things, follow the two Instagram pages, subscribe to the podcast, and tag your three friends. I need you to screenshot all four of those things and send them in a message to me on the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. Once you've done that, I'll enter you into the drawing. Uh, The drawing will go until the last day of February, then on March 1st, I will draw the winner, and then on March 2nd in that episode, I will announce who the winner is. So, good luck. Tell your friends. Get as many people as you can signed up. The more people you have signed up, the better options you have, that one of your buddies is going to win it and invite you along. Good luck. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our sponsors Uh, First we have DuckSeason.com, that's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Go on there and check it out. You can trade hunts with people from across the country. Uh, There's a good duck hunting forum on there, you can buy some merchandise. Uh, There's also the Salty Fowl line of clothing on there, where 100% of the profits go to the conservation of eiders. Next we have Steady Wing Outfitters. It's located in northeast Kansas, and they're guiding for waterfowl, turkey, and deer. Uh, Follow them on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to book a hunt, you can call Mikey Soberano. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. That's Caleb and the guys making hunting and fishing videos on YouTube. Uh, You can check them out there, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. They also have a website. It is the numbers, 701pursuit.com. Go on there and buy some clothes, hat shirts, stuff like that. Now we've got Waylon Johnson and his guide service, uh, hunting ducks and geese down in the San Antonio, Texas area. Uh, You can find him on Facebook. It's Waylon Johnson on there. Or you can give him a call. His number is 361 four nine four seven eight six eight lastly we have highline retrievers uh, dog training up in northeast montana you can find them on facebook instagram or tiktok it's h-i-l-i-n-e retrievers you can also uh, give me a call my number is 406-783-7083 uh, if you have any questions on training need any advice any help or if you want to set up Some training in the future for your four-legged friend. Uh, Thanks a lot and enjoy the show. Don't forget, today is the last day to sign up for the hunt giveaway. So for any of you that skipped all the way through the ads to get to the episode, uh, make sure you go back to the very beginning and all the details to sign up are in there. The post on Instagram to get signed up for the hunt giveaway is the top pinned post on the wicked hunting report podcast Instagram page. So make sure you get on there and get signed up. I'll be drawing the winner tomorrow on Instagram live and I'll also announce it on the upcoming podcast episode on Thursday. So good luck and don't forget to get signed up.
1: Well, the cubby Took Sing a pointing dog down in the old logging road. And then got three and looked back grinning. I fumbled around and I tried to reload. The country was cold.
0: All right, welcome so to Wicked Hunting Report. This is Garrett. Today I'm with Jeff Stanfield. He's from Knox City, Texas. Uh, he has the Big Honker Lodge and the Big Honker Podcast. I guess Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. So, Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Well, you pretty much done a pretty good job of it right there. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm in the little humble abode of Knox City, Texas, population 1,200, uh, 1,198 good people, and me and Michelle, basically. Uh, <laughs> I've been in the hunt business for 30 years with Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. And uh, we hunt in Texas, Oklahoma, and we will be doing hunts in Nebraska this year on the Platte River in December and January around Olig- o- o- Ogallala. I always pronounce that wrong.
0: You guys are goose duck turkey what all do you guys do cranes too
1: we do a lot of crane hunting crane all waterfowl and then we do pheasant hunts on a preserve we've got and then we do uh we do a lot of dove hunting in september september dove hunting is getting really big in Texas. it's been big a long time but it's a huge a huge deal for us and we do pheasant or dove hunts and then we do wild hog and we'll do some deer hunts we basically hunt full time from september through about the end of april and then may june july and august we don't do a whole lot just get ready for the next year And then me and Andy have taken on a new role. Now we are working with boss shot shells and we will be doing all this. We'll be at all the shot that Boss shows just about. We'll be in the booth. Got any questions about anything you can reach out to us. Uh, Got a brand new load coming out. It's going to be called the Stanfield nine. It's going to be a number nine boss shot for doves, small game, teal. Great shot for teal. I shot it at teal last year. It's amazing. Grouse, quail, that kind of thing.
0: That's awesome. That's uh. I think that's what i'm going to order when we roll into summer here getting ready for season because i need some i want to get into some bismuth for uh when i go upland hunting so i think that'd be good like sixes so, or nines or whatever
1: absolutely amazing we've shot and we tested them this year and they're amazing i mean i'm telling you it, it made a big 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 difference and it's you're getting ahead of the curve anyways because it's not going to be long and they're going to do away with any lead hunt on any kind of pro- public land and any kind of federal migratory bird. It's going to be all lead before long, or it's going to be all non-tox before long.
0: Yeah, because we, we uh, upland hunt quite a few places that are like steel shot only. So right. I'd, like to, I'd like to not have <clears> to worry <throat> about it. Just know whatever I have in my truck or my vest I can use wherever I go and not have to worry about switching from lead to steel, what, what the shot is going to look like different, how it's going to fly and hit.
1: Well, I shot the Stanfield Nines last year, and and they on on teal they were just they we they were vaporized on teal. I mean, it was a great shot, and we, we dove hunted with them. And I'm excited. We're going to go do some uh, some upland hunting this year with my friend Douglas. Spen- take Nines with me there too. So, how did your guys' season go this year? I guess waterfowl season. The first six weeks were epic. The last six weeks were epic also, but the last six weeks epic was not a good epic. It was horrible. Absolutely the worst. Six, from about <laughs> December 20th to January 28th was the longest six weeks of my entire life in the waterfowl business, ever in my life. And it was what was going bad. on. We we're, we were in a drought. All of our playas and stuff were just about dry by Thanksgiving. Then we had the same birds. We didn't have a front. We, we it was cool. And for early December, it was cool. It was 45 to 50 degrees for a high every day. It was foggy and cold and misty, but it wasn't cold. We never got cold. It was just cool. And then we got that major, major front, like December 20th, 21st, where it just got bitter cold, and that didn't help us. That just froze what little bit of water we had uh, had here up. It just did not help us at all. But you could have gone 100 miles east of me, my buddy Rustin's place, and they had great hunting in January, but we struggled. Now, we had some really good hunts in January. We had a goose hunt we were done, and we killed 42 or 52 birds in about 20 minutes. We had some really good hunts, too, but we had a lot of really tough, tough, horrible days no wind hot the full moon i mean it just was just a perfect recipe we were in a drought it was dry here so the farmers started turning ground under and i you know it's funny that is something that i just notice here i don't notice at other places i talked to other outfitters and they said we went through the same thing this year they plowing the corn under real fast in places and farmers got to get ready for his next season i understand that but on a wet year they can't get as much stuff done but this year being dry they got a lot of their crops done and they got their fields plowed up and they plowed a lot of food under and that did just everything that could go wrong was wrong the first six weeks were absolutely stu- i mean amazing we shot the piss out of the birds the first six weeks as good as i've ever seen it and the whole time it was happening i knew what was coming down the road i knew it i knew it was dry i knew it was going to be i knew eventually we were those birds were going to get small and they did
0: so i guess was all your guys' uh, customers pretty understanding
1: of that or did you have any, any uh, issues at all I had two guys that were not real happy with us this year, two guys in a group in two different groups and the guys they're lucky like him best. I understand it's hunting. I've been doing this a long time. Um, one guy was an expert and I got smart with him. I usually don't get smart with people. I let them talk and say they're peace and I try to make peace with them and I do my best to make sure everybody comes back and guys just everything we did. He, he was smarter than us. And I finally asked him, I said, listen, why do you pay money to an outfitter? You obviously know more than everyone else does around here that does this full time. I said, you're an expert. And his buddies thought it was funny. He did not appreciate that very much. and He wrote a real bad review for me. And then I had another guy wrote about a real bad review over it. I don't even. You work hard. You do what you can do. My phone is blowing up today. We're going to be sold out next year. But we're going to do what we can. And we're going to work hard for everybody. And there's going to be just, it's hunting. Nowhere on my page or anybody else's page is, it says a guaranteed kill. I had a lady call me this year. They did a hunt with us and they killed some birds. It was not a good hunt either. It was tough. I'm telling you, we had a tough last six weeks. And she called up and she's like, "Well, no, these are these guaranteed hunts to shoot limits." I go, "No, we do a pheasant hunt, and they're not guaranteed you're going to kill anything. Anyways, guaranteed you can shoot at something, but release bird hunts, you still I can't make you shoot. But nothing. It was not that big a deal, one way or the other. So, what do you guys do when
0: it gets like that? Like the they're turning crops over and it's a drought. Like, do you guys change anything up from normal or?
1: The birds go to different places, but we would go from 150,000 birds to 35,000 birds in about three days. And right before Christmas, it got real cold, uh, real, real cold. The birds went north about 15 miles this year where they've never done this before. And I've got most of the wheat ground up there, but there was one place I didn't have them and they stayed for about four days. And I had a client ask me, he goes, Well, your birds are gone. I said, No, they're right there. They're they're just three miles up the road and we can't get them to come down. Well, what do y'all normally do? I said, We've never had this happen before. That's what I mean. I don't don't care how long you've been in the hunting business. Every year you're going to deal with something different than you've done before. I have safe areas and I've talked about it so many times, places to hunt, no matter what you scout and find. If it's six o'clock at night when it gets dark, if you don't have a place to go, you can go here and kill birds. I went through about three weeks this year where we didn't have that safe area. And it made some really tough times because usually I don't have to. I don't worry about all that stuff. And and I don't I don't lose a lot of, lose a lot of sleep over that anyways. All you can do is work and do your best job. I have got guys that work for me. We have good equipment. We have great places to hunt. And there's just some situations. It's hunting. Three quarters booked for next year already. So obviously we had a we had a good year enough that we were still seventy five percent booked for next season already. So it's good. It was good it was a. the hunting was tough the last part of the year. The first part was excellent. You blend it together out of one to ten, I'd give it about a five or six.
0: Is that about average for you guys then? It's like five, six average or.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. The first six, the first six weeks was about a 9.8. The second six weeks was about a point zero three.
0: So what does that 9.8 look like for you? Like there's good water everywhere and good food.
1: The birds, we had food everywhere and we still had water and the playas and we just had a bunch wow. of birds here and they're calendar birds and they're here every November and we shoot the piss out of them wow. and it's really good hunting when you don't get anything to backlog them the whole way. And they, They start start losing their water and they start moving. If we'd have had water, a regular water like we had two years ago, when we had that big front, we would have been covered up with geese. It would have been a great late December and January. It's just one of those things. And I said it on our podcast a dozen times this year. Somebody, last year, I kept saying in the summer, somebody is going to be a benefactor of this. Somebody somewhere is going to lose a bunch of birds and somebody that usually don't have a lot of birds is going to have a bunch of birds this year. And I'm sure that's the way it was. Did you uh, find out who that somebody was? I don't go chase them around. I don't have time. I mean, I just, we don't, we, I I mean, I'm busy doing what we're doing. I know. Oma was not real good this year either.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I guess I heard from a couple guys down south over in that area that uh, east of you guys more like on the uh, Arkansas, Texas, that area over there, that's a long they way. Saw, yeah, that's a long way east, but I, I guess what it's worth, I heard that they saw above average what they normally do. They, they so killed, I don't know if
1: that. That area had a lot of mallards. I mean, I have people at home with me from all over, so I hear a lot of different things. But yes, that area was really good, I heard. Around uh, Texarkana, back to Mount Pleasant area, they killed a lot of ducks this year.
0: Makes me feel better that we're not dropping numbers. So speaking of dropping numbers. You guys did get rid of, last time we were talking about it,
1: they did get rid of your guys' uh, conservation snow goose, right? As far as I know, yes. But yeah, I don't think it makes a hell of a hill of beans anyways. I actually, uh, last two weeks ago, whenever me and Michelle were in Mexico, a guy sent me a video of a ranch about 10 miles from where I'm at right now in my house, and it had about 15,000 snow geese on it. Now, if I would have been here, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't even got out of bed to go look at them. But that's a bunch of snow geese for our area. A big. It was a big feed. And I saw two big feeds on the way to Wichita yesterday. Snow geese feeds. So we have some, but I, I don't know about the jacks with them.
0: Something that we didn't really talk about last time that I wanted to was I mean, you've been around for a couple of years, we'll say <laughs> a lot more than me. What uh what differences have you seen from over the years to now, like, you know, hunting wise in your area? Is it
1: improved? Has it gone downhill or the hunting like that? In my area, as it was when I first started. When I first started the hunting here, we had all the small Canada's. So what Toby and them were shooting in Amarillo and what they're shooting at Fort Cobb, all those geese were here. So we were wintering about a million small geese in the 90s to early 2000s. And with it, we had a big drought in 11 changed a lot of that. And then we changed with, we had a couple of years, we didn't have as many peanuts. Now the peanuts have come back a lot. But so we don't have the small birds. And so my hunting is... Degressed to shooting the small candidates and we have a ton more speckle bellies now um the hunting has changed nationwide because of what we're on right now the phone internet iphone ipads it's changed you know instagram everybody puts pictures on instagram they're killed everywhere you get some 16 year old kid that goes to high school and he lives in napoleon north dakota and he shoots a bunch of pile of birds he's gonna post a picture of it same thing happens in montana some small little town in wyoming so people you know, no, there's no, there's no, there's nothing hidden no more. Like I used to have hidden areas around here, the areas I knew ooh, I, I, things get bad. There's three thousand geese over there. I know we can go hunt. Nobody's jacking with them. They'll be there for three, four, five, six days, and other than the farmer driving by, nobody, nobody fucks with them. Well, those days are gone, and and I think that's what way all over the country. The birds have a lot more pressure on them. Um, I did have a lot more faith this year. We had we shot some widgeons this year. And we hadn't shot widgets in two years, and we saw a lot of widgets again this year. So I was pretty happy to see that.
0: I love widgeon. I I yeah. put them above
1: mallard. I love watching them work. I was I was really really worried that the numbers were way off from what they're preaching to us, but that I've seen a lot of ducks this year at times. So it, it man, it's just a it was tough year here. So I can't give you a good a good. Uh, Uh, prediction or not prediction I can't give you a good comment on what was really here because I'm in other places because I stayed here the whole time I talked to guys in southwest Oklahoma they had a really hard time the last month the season also and then you could get to northern Oklahoma and they had a really good season I know some guys in Kansas that struggled at times I know guys in Kansas it was absolutely amazing Nebraska held a ton of birds you know and we just we didn't get much snow either this year South Dakota got a big snow today which is really good for the nesting areas. I'll Yeah, you got, my
0: grandparents said they got like three to four foot drifts in the front yard right now in South Dakota.
1: So, Are they sick of snow?
0: Yeah, well, when we went down there for Christmas, they had a lot less than us, which normally they're about the same as us. But they were like we were seeing bare dirt out there. But over, since then, they've been steadily getting little chunks of snow here and there. And then this big storm, they, they said they got pounded. So but they're snowed that. in.
1: We need that to happen at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. I bet when your grandparents, I bet if you talk to them, I bet your parents, I bet they would tell you when they were kids at Thanksgiving, it was almost a white Thanksgiving every year.
0: What well, when growing up, growing up every Halloween, we had to wear a snowsuit and we had snow on the ground. We always had snow on the ground before Halloween the whole time I was growing up. And, we just and now, I mean, if, if we do get snow before Halloween, it's melted that day pretty much. We, it we used to we, never be like that. Yeah, we need that again. That would help push the ducks down. We used to also. It was... Every year for uh, Easter, we always had snow on the ground still, too. And well, it's not like that anymore.
1: I wouldn't want that shit at all. It's way too long yeah. to have snow, Halloween to Easter.
0: Well, I mean, that's what you get when you live up in God's country.
1: I would like to live in God's country. I would take that. I'm telling you right now.
0: It's got its perks, but, I mean, freezing, freezing your tits off all winter and then sweating 100 degrees all summer with humidity, so...
1: Weather's not perfect, but everything else is good. Uh, the people are good. It's a good life. You're yep. very fortunate, and very blessed. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's part of it. I mean, we're all suffering through the same thing at all times. There's no point in being a dick to somebody.
1: No, that's exactly right.
0: But um, so you would say that social media is the biggest
1: change you've seen from over the years? Biggest influencer in all of hunting. From every, 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 the, everything, everything is about it. It's not good. We would be so much better off in society. Now, I make a living now having a podcast, basically. And me and Andy have got a TV series we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about pretty quick. We got our series, The First Family of Waterfowl. So I, we, we, we've, you know, we're making money off of it. It's been good for my family. It's been a big blessing for us. But we were a lot better off as a society before we had cell phones. Before we had smartphones. I had to hate cell phone, But the smartphones have changed our world. You know, back, you know, 20 years ago, people didn't stop when there was a fight. They either stopped and helped someone and they called 911. You see somebody getting robbed or run over by a car, you weren't videoing it, you were trying to help or call, you know, or you were you're doing something. Nowadays, everybody wants to video everything. Uh, From police officers, every time someone makes a stop, there's every car, every phone in the deal is going to you know, and that 1.1 of 1% of the incidents, everybody wants to put it out and it makes everything look bad. So yeah, I think cell phones have ruined everything, including honey. Yeah. Next time you go with your family to have dinner, look around the room. Everybody's yeah. on until the meal comes out. Yeah.
0: I try not to do that anymore, but I catch myself doing it. My wife, she's really good about once we're eating or whatever she puts it on her phone. But for me, it's like, I've got such bad ADHD. I've got to be doing something at all times. And it's just like I automatically pull it out and just start scrolling through it and don't even realize it. And the food shows up and I look up and she's giving me a sour look because I just spent the whole time on that. And I know I need to get better about it, just like
1: all of us. But it's a bad yeah, habit and we're all in it. I mean, I am too. I remember they used to have the little uh, triangle boards with the little golf tees and you try to leave one bill. So that was better yeah. sitting at the table than people or kids coloring. But yeah. We, we, me and Michelle were somewhere eating the other day, and uh, we, we were at a resort in Mexico. And this family sat down to eat dinner, and both of the kids had iPads, four and six years old. And this we did the whole time wow. they had dinner, they played on their iPads. It's loud, going. And that wears me out. I put some headphones on. I don't I wear. That's one of my pet peeves is people in waiting rooms or something with an iPad and they don't have earphones in. Yeah. But that that that's our society everywhere, and I'm just as guilty as everybody else does. I, as soon as we go to eat, I got a phone. You know, you got your family, yeah. you got your grandkids, and you're looking at a freaking phone looking at stupid videos or something It's not even important. But yeah. if we get rid of the smartphone and just went to a cell phone, I could live with that again. And I think everyone else could too. It would just take a while to adapt to it.
0: Well, yeah. I, I mean, I was kind of at that stage where I didn't grow up with them, but they were like the smartphones. I think I was like a freshman in high school when they started, people started getting them in our area. And uh, I remember I was one of the last ones to do it. And once I got it, I wish I would never got it. Cause you know, first thing you did was download the games on it and everything. And then it yep. used to be like, we'd go on sporting trips or whatever. We'd be on the bus and we all be playing cards. And then after that, it's like half the time people are just on their phone watching videos. There's a, there'd only be like a handful of us that are still playing cards. And it used to be the whole bus, even if they weren't playing was back there watching. And there's a lot of anymore. It's just people sitting in their own seats, staring at their phone. So
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's changed the world that we live in completely. And that, I think it's hurt hunting a bunch. I don't think we'll ever come back. I mean, people today there's no hidden gems because everybody's got on x sees the that, video hunting somewhere and there's six guys the next week at the same place hunting i mean it just it's it's not been good for hunting yeah. but it's, but there's so many internet scouters out there
0: that's a big thing with fishing like i'm on a bunch of like ice fishing pages and stuff and uh People post the picture, and there's guys that – like if they say what the lake they're on, there's guys that have been that lake so much that they can look at the background and know right where that person's sitting, and they can be there the next morning fishing that spot because it's a hot spot. So a lot of them will blur out the background like the uh, sky and the mountains or trees or whatever is around them because there are so many people that were sniping spots like that because you just look at one picture and there's like two dozen guys. They'll know exactly where that's at because they've been on the lake enough, and they're just all posted up there the next morning when you go to go out.
1: Yeah, life has changed so much, and it's not been for the good with the technology, especially in the outdoors.
0: Yeah. So, I guess back to more on hunting again. Besides the phones and the social media, gear-wise, what what is the biggest changes, like the best improvements from over the years? Like clothes, guns, shotgun shells, anything like that?
1: The only thing that we have now that hasn't gotten better in the last 30 years is the flag. Randy Bart's the flag 40 years ago i used the flag for the first time 30 years ago it's the greatest tool you have in a waterfowl hunting the greatest and no and no one's improved it because you can't so people can put a little shaft on and do a little bit this but it's still a flag so the flag is has no different decoys are a whole lot better i mean you look at the technology with the dive bomb silhouette compared to the silhouettes from back in the day they're they're so much better the fully flocked they we, we went through a deal where they shined a lot so then they were where they're not supposed to glare as much and they've done a lot of different things for them. So the improvement in the silhouettes has changed the game a little bit, but it's still a silhouette. The duck decoy, you got duck decoys that carvers are better today than what they were back, you know, back when the old, old G and H decoys, but it's still a duck decoy. It looks like a duck, you know, I don't really think a duck is smart enough to know the difference between a hundred dollars set of decoys and a $350 set of decoys, but people pay it for them. So, i I the decoy game has gotten a little bit better, I would think, but still the, the basic part of waterfowl hunting for the decoys the flag uh and that haven't changed much in the last let's say fifty years or forty years whenever Randy did the flag, but the motion decoys are amazing these days. The blinds that you can get that lucky Duck two by four blind is absolutely incredible uh calls better they're louder than they used to be uh, But the basic concept of waterfowl hunting is the same. You know, I was talking to a gentleman, I was talking to somebody at the Turkey Convention this week, and they were talking about turning tires over. And they were talking about they could just take old black tires who the hell was I talking to? Anyways, I don't know. Maybe a Sean Man or somebody was telling me about hunting over tires. No, it was Jeff Coates on our podcast was talking about this. Back in the day, they just take some old black tires and flip them inside out and put them on the ground, and you can shoot geese over them. I'm not so sure you couldn't do that today to a bird that's not been pressured a lot. But pressured birds, you need a little bit better decoys. Well, and you finding know? those unpressured birds is about impossible nowadays, it, too. It, and it's going to be that way more and more. You know, when, when, when I grew up hunting, there was... The, there were people that hunted. There was more hunters than there are now today, probably. But they weren't very good hunters. You know, a group of four guys go out and if they killed two geese and three ducks and killed five birds, they were happy as hell. Went home to their wives, happy, showed them the spoils, of their hunt. You know, they baked them a goose, tastes like shit, Threw it out the window the next day. But they were it was still, they went out hunting. They had a good time. It was camaraderie and fellowship. Um, <clears throat> there wasn't people stacking 50 and 100 birds. But people also at that time only shot what they needed. You know, you didn't find very many people hunting that, were, that weren't eating what they shot. I, you can't tell me a lot of these guys in, in, the, in the snow goose hunting, shooting three or four hundred snow geese are going to eat all them birds. Well, yeah. And I know so, that
0: there's there's quite a few people that, at least that we hunt around, if you get quite a bit excess, we take them to uh, hunters for the hungry, like uh, those type of shelters and stuff.
1: That's a great and thing. And do it
0: that way. But I've also seen piles of geese in ditches and tree grows yes. and stuff. And
1: I don't like to eat geese. Everybody knows that though. this is a podcast. But in a sausage stick with some cheese and jalapenos, it's not that bad.
0: Like yeah, so we grind ours up into sausage. That's that's the best way to get rid of it, like with the family. I yes. could eat the breast, but I used that's back when I was young and hungry and
1: broke. Yeah. But I'm a know, fat. nowadays, I'd rather grind it up. I'm a fat boy, and I haven't been hungry enough to want to eat a goose. Never, but I'll eat the sticks. I don't mind the sticks are not bad. Just like deer. I'm not big venison either, either, but the sticks are really good.
0: Now, you were saying, and you've been saying that you're not a duck eater either until that last one that you had in Mexico. You were talking was, about this on your show. Yeah, I just, good. I just don't know how you don't, how you don't like duck. I love duck. I mean, you leave it the skin on, fat on, scored up, cook it in the cast iron, medium rare. They are just so good.
1: This just... the way i had it in mexico a lot of fat on it yeah you know it, it was really good it was a french restaurant i mean it's the only thing on the you know they serve you shit about this big there should be a fat son of a bitch in france the way they feed them little milk shit. you don't get enough to eat at all two grapes is a salad to them i mean shit that's not a salad that's not even a snack but uh the good the duck i had was really good it really was i was it was medium rare um it tasted more like pork than it did a duck even so I never thought that it
0: tasted like pork, but it was always more of a like it was like a mixture of like deer and like beef to me. Because it always like had like the texture of beef, but more of a taste like a deer. But that's this that's deer, just me.
1: Really good. I've had it two times at the same place, and it's it's kind of it tastes like a real chewy pork chop. I mean it was really good. It's really good. But it didn't have the uh, it wasn't real gamey tasting. Yeah. I grew up eating yeah my dad would bake and it was absolutely horrible i mean it was dry i mean it was miserable It was like eating beef jerky that stunk
0: my grandma can cook anything except for wild game she always overcooks it and i don't know if it's just the mold people that were like that or what but i mean everything has just got to be well done well done and it's just like just all you can taste is rubber and gaminess and you just chew that, on it forever and that's
1: that's, that's not right. good it's like it's even turkeys. Michelle makes the best turkey in the world. She puts it in a roaster oven. She's she puts wine. It kind of steams in a wine sauce and butter. That's excellent. And that's I enjoy it and I like it. But I, I've been to people's house and have turkey and it's dry as shit. And the same with deer and everything else. I want something that's that's I want if I'm eating beef, I want I want some blood in it. I want it medium rare. Yeah. Anything fast that isn't even isn't
0: even beef anymore. It's leather. In my nope. opinion, but yeah, I agree. Uh, my mom is not of the same opinion, so there's people out there. So I can't talk too much trash on it, cause my mom likes them so well done that you can't tell what's the outside and the inside. I got a brother in law like that. I guess on the gear stuff, do you think that there's anything like coming next in the coming years that people haven't thought of yet that could come out or anything that's really going to improve?
1: that's funny you to ask this. I walked, I went to the Turkey convention last weekend in Nashville and I highly recommend that for anybody that's a hunter. And I thought about that. I'm thinking, you know, there's something that's not in here right now. That's going to be the big thing. Five years from now, someone's got an idea in their head right now at home. that's a million dollar idea for them. It just, because every time you think you get to the next pinnacle, something else comes out. <coughs> we've re we've, Mastered almost everything in the waterfowl business. The new shin gear waders are outstanding, outstanding. Now shin gear's got some bibs coming out, outstanding. Their boots are great. Everything they make is great. So these companies are getting these products, and they're making boss shotgun shells. It's been shotgun shells forever. Now all of a sudden, in the last five years, we've got this superior shot shell to shoot that we never had before. So someone's going to do an improvement of something we have now. But yes, I think there's a product out there that no one's come up with I gave uh I gave a guy an idea on a product that I think would really change field hunting for ducks and geese. We'll see if he does something with it it's a real it's a really cool concept if they can put it and make it work
0: whenever something new comes out and it's like game changer it's always like that was so simple. Why didn't anybody think of that or why didn't I think of that and it's well, the guys that can come up with yeah, that this- and actually put the idea into use like have the uh ability to do something with their idea too that really make it happen
1: i gave an idea and if it comes out it's gonna it's gonna change field hunting it's a new motion deal that'll work but I, a, a company has it and we'll see if they do anything with it but i've noted i've noticed something i've noticed over 30 years of scouting something i've seen and i told a guy about it i've told a guy and i've told a guy and i finally told a guy that thinks he can do something with it and if he does i think it would be really good but so there's there's some things out there that can be changed but basically all we're doing now is mastering what we have but how much better do we have to get before we shoot? We, we turn ducks and geese nocturnal, where they don't even fly during the day. Yeah, true, very true. I mean, we are really becoming great hunters, great, great hunters. Because yeah, I mean,
0: like you were saying, with the turned over tires and people not shooting what they used to. I mean, back in the day, they could go out and, I mean, the birds just wouldn't get the pressure and wouldn't see the things. So there, there might be birds that might not even see a spread till two or three years old. And anymore,
1: that's, like, impossible to find. Even when I first got in the hunting business, the birds that would come to me hadn't been shot at all. They'd come out of Canada, they hadn't been hunted at all. they come down here, nobody hunted them. There was a few hunters in North Dakota and South Dakota. Kansas didn't have a lot of hunters at this time like they do now. Now, when you get geese, and our goose season opens here, they've been pounded for two months. You know, from se- on September 1st, you can turn on your Instagram, you can start seeing big piles of ducks and geese. And it's that way the whole way down. So those birds, those birds of getting, you know, they they know what's happening.
0: Well, and like with the North Dakota early conservation season, like all that's doing is pounding away at those resident, like the brand new this year's hatched geese. So before they even start their migration, they've already been, you know, schooled and pounded at the middle of August, which I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I've gone out there and done it multiple times, but I mean, just like the more you think of it, those things from birth pretty much are getting educated.
1: And um, I, was in, I was in Dallas this last week, and I noticed a bunch of flocks of geese there that I'm not seeing. So they're getting to be more and more resident geese there. But a lot of those geese, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't see those. You had to get up north before you seen Canada geese in the summer. And There's getting to be more and more of them, and it's going to continue to be that way because they adapt so well. And we've put so much pressure on them in certain places, they go to places with no pressure. You know, if you're you, a goose, you live in – look at the swans in Minneapolis. I was there for game thread this year. There's swans everywhere up there now. Well, nobody nobody jacks with
0: them. We're we're getting so much better, like you said. We're just kind of we're almost ruining it for ourselves. Like you start improving too much in it, yeah, it's only going to get harder.
1: Yes, it is. It's not going to get any easier.
0: Was it the show that you guys are talking about? The armist armistice day blizzard. Uh, yes. The, so that was a story. I can't remember. I was in high school at some point, but the first time I heard of it, I was reading, I think, Outdoor Life or something, and they had a whole article in there about, I think they called it the day the duck hunters died or something.
1: Exactly. And that's the
0: first time. I guess, for the people don't that don't really know about it, could you give a rundown on what that was? Because that's like a big event and a good safety and, I guess, learning experience for waterfowlers. What happened there?
1: Um, It's on Armistice Day. And Armistice Day, and you're gonna get me in my trouble here in history. I believe is the day that they stopped hunting in World War One. I. I believe is Armistice Day. Is what what it is? I, and I should know this, and I don't. And someone's gonna call me out and make fun of me on here because I love history. But anyways, it's Armistice Day, and there's a low pressure system. We didn't have the National Weather Service like we had now. You know, it's hard for young people to realize. You can't look at your phone, and look at a radar, and get a weather forecast. You had to either read the newspaper or watch the news. And back in the, I think this happened uh in the 1930s i can't believe i don't have a computer with me as i can look stuff up i don't have my computer with me right now anyway i think it happened in the 30s but there was a low pressure system that came out of i believe somewhere around saskatoon That dropped it came from across from like seattle so did what i'm going to see it went from seattle to montana and it was going across and it dipped down and it, it dipped down by kansas city i believe and what happened was that cold weather and the winds blew around that system. When people left to go hunting, it was, the, it was either the opening weekend or last weekend or something for opening of a split for duck season. And there was ducks around and all these people went duck hunting. When they left their house that morning, it was 40 and 50 degrees. It was a warm day. And a lot of the headwaters, most of the people that died were in the headwaters of the Mississippi, where uh, I think is it Winona College that's there? Outside of Minneapolis, it's on the river, Wisconsin-Iowa uh, border right there. I can't Everything. think of it, but yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whatever that town is, that river, the Mississippi is a half mile wide probably right there to a mile wide. They have islands in it. There was a bunch of ducks in there. All these guys took their boats up there, and it was 40 to 50 degrees. Well, by 9 o'clock in the morning... It was 30 degrees, and the wind was blowing 50 to 60 miles an hour. By noon, it was about zero degrees, and the wind was blowing 50 to 60 miles an hour. Well, you gotta you gotta think about something. This is in the 1930s, I believe it was during the time. Everybody's wearing a wool coat or wool shirt. A lot of them didn't even have a coat. They didn't, we didn't know it was, the weather forecast wasn't that good. They went out in this what this weather in this in these boats, both iced up, people iced up. Boats drifted away, left people sticking on islands. People didn't have a, a safety and a first aid kit. Luckily, some guys had lunches and stuff. One whole family died, and the little boy, I think the boy was eight or nine years old, they flipped the boat over, and him and the Labrador retriever were under the boat until someone came and found them. But there was a hero, was a U.S. postal worker, and I'm going to write a screenplay of this, and I'm going to get Matthew McConaughey to play in this. This is a this is a TV hit, if someone would ever do it. And the, the Post post guy got in there. I think the temperature was six or eight below zero, and he got in this plane, and he would fly up and down the Missy and, and cut the engine off until people scream and holler, and then he would get back on the radio and tell people and so they could direct people to find people, and he was a hero, and he saved probably 30, 40, 50 people's lives, but he was a, he was a postal. He would drop mail out of the uh, airplane fly from like a bigger town and go to a small town and drop, you know, they would drop the bags of mail out of their deal, just throw them out. And that's how they bought the mail routes back then. It was on train or an airplane. And that's what he did. But he was a hero and saved a lot of lives, but just guys that didn't know the weather forecast and got caught in a bad situation and the wind, however they would do, they went out when they come in, they had to face the wind and it sunk the boats and they just, they froze to death. Hypothermia. Yeah. So that,
0: that dude, I remember reading in it, he was flying around and he was spotting and marking people so he could tell the rescuers and he was dropping, uh, like bags full of matches and food. And <coughs> yes. Like, like
1: survival stuff. He had people? And he would have, you know, we, they didn't have yetis and shit back then. So people would wax something up in a canvas or a waxed bag. He might throw some, you know, the ladies at church were making sandwiches and a thermos coffee, you know, and he would throw it out and, you know, they didn't have plastic then. I mean, life was different then. And see, that's the, the, my early parts of my life was a part of that. I, I remember that. Not that far back, but from 19, 1975 to 1950, things were, there was a lot of things were still similar. Yeah. And um, that, those kind of hunts like that, if, I, if my dad and my brother that we hunted up at the lake up here all the time in a little V hole boat, we would go hunting with ducks and stuff. And we had waders and shit. But we didn't have nothing for a. If we don't went through a situation like that, yeah and that's
0: that's why I said it's such a good like warning thing to think about it because like you said when they left it was good weather and they just thought it was going to be a storm and they were going to have good duck hunt they weren't expecting what actually happened to happen, and there was a lot a lot of waterfowl hunters that
1: didn't make it out of that storm nope. and it's, and there's no excuse for it today, yeah back then, it, there was an excuse for it I think the snow the snow in Around Minneapolis and Minnesota, I think all the way to Mason City, Iowa, I've got the book in the other room, and I've read it two or three times. I think they said the snow was anywhere from 18 to 40 inches deep in some places, and snow and snow drifts were five and six foot. It knocked out power and stuff to people's homes. People were stranded at their house. And back then, people also didn't have stuff in their fridge. You didn't have refrigerator and a refrigerator and and cabinets full of food. You know, that's That's the gluttony that we have in today's world. But you didn't open up a cabinet at your house and have 85 boxes of pre-made Little Debbie snacks and shit. They did, that, that, that stuff wasn't around. So people yeah. couldn't even go to the grocery store to get food. You know, people yeah. went to the store every two or three days or they had stuff canned at their house that they'd done themselves.
0: So I looked it up. It was November 11th, 1940.
1: 1940. Dropped yep. the World War two.
0: Yeah, and then that article that I read, it goes around every year. When on like the memorial of it but it it was called the day the duck hunters died and then there's two books on it and i have both of them uh the one of them is all hell broke loose and the other one is wings in the wind yep and i mean those are two you should definitely look up and read not only like as a like a warning and stuff and to learn from it but they're really good books i mean i love history things like that especially when it has to do with the outdoors but those are two that if you're interested you should definitely look into
1: yeah, they're, they're great books. I highly recommend them, and it's, it'd be good a book to read your story. You know, take your grandkids, you know, eight, nine years old, or your kids, eight, nine years old, and read books like that and get them interested in stuff. When I was a kid, I read books like that myself every day, but I like to read, and you could, you know, we didn't have the, the video games and stuff that day. We read, and I love to read, and I still do. Those are mm-hmm. two really good books, and I highly recommend it. It's a great story, and it should be a movie.
0: Yeah, it really should, but, I mean, with it being... A lot of it being hunters that died.
1: Who knows if that'll ever get done. But it takes somebody like Mel Gibson to do it.
0: (laughs) Are you saying that your Mr. Yellowstone wouldn't be the guy that
1: pushed this through? You know, he's 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 working on a new movie with a friend, the guy that I know. And if he does the movie on him, then it will be a it, it would cut out of that different cloth. I actually have to say this. I'm not a big fan of all the liberal Hollywood bullshit. But I did watch Tulsa Time with Sylvester Stallone. It was snowy and cold here one day, and I was flipping through it. And I watched the first five minutes of it, and I got intrigued by it. And I watched the whole series. I binge-watched it in about a day and a half. It's really a good series. But I have not watched 1883. I ain't watching Tim fucking McGraw and his liberal wife and all that other bullshit. But I did like Tulsa Time. I haven't watched any of that stuff yet. It's yeah, I, uh, I don't. It's a good show. It's a mobster goes to Tulsa. It's no different than Lily Hammer is on Norway, which is a good series, a, a very good a series with uh, Steven Van Zandt, and, I, and he's a liberal, Bruce Springsteen's guitar player. But that's a really good show too, which I like. Alien mob stuff, I like it too. So.
0: Yeah. I think I got a copy of the Godfather set right here on my dresser. Anyways.
1: I've never but. read the book, but I've watched the movies a bunch. Those are good movies.
0: Yeah. So what I for what I was thinking of earlier was you do a pile and pile of scouting for the uh, uh, business. Mm -hmm. How I guess what is your not theory on it, but like what's your game
1: plan when you go scouting? Do you just cruise roads and mark where they're at, or do
0: like do you have like a set way?
1: Well, my area is different than everybody else's. We hunt usually about ten miles from my house eighty percent of the time. I know you usually know where we're going to hunt a day before, anyways. Our scouting is different here. I mean, it's not different. I've, hunted, I've scouted in Oklahoma where we hunt. And it's a pain in the ass. Some days you drive 30, 40, 50 miles to go to one spot. Get there and look at the birds are gone somewhere else and you're back well another way. So my scouting is easy here compared to a lot of places. <clears throat> so my scout, my scouting is pretty simple. I scout in the morning. I leave here at first light. Watch my guys hunt the first 30, 45 minutes. Watch where the birds are going. Um, usually I have a pretty good idea where we're going to hunt the next day that morning. And then sometimes I'll well, we scout every afternoon also and we just reiterate and take the guides and show them where to hunt. But usually I know where we're going to do by nine, nine o'clock one morning. I know what we're doing the day before, the next day usually. Sometimes I know two days before we'll set a field for a day or so and hunt it the next day. Okay. And then we are fucked around and we don't know what the hell we're going to do at dark. I mean, I've been there a few times too. Anybody that's in the hunt business runs a lot of hunters has had no, I have no clue what we're doing. And when I talk to another outfitter and he says, I have no clue what I'm doing that night, I say, I understand. I've been there. I feel for you. But, yeah, usually I know. I don't. I have a good idea what I'm stuck I'm not driving down a road not knowing where I'm going or where I'm going. I mean, I'm not in the middle of nowhere where I don't. Like, if I went up to Montana and went hunting, you know, and did a hunt there, it's like, I wouldn't know what I was doing. I'd have to find out who a hunter is, the farmer is, landowner or somebody. I'd have to track someone down, find a phone number, call somebody. I don't have to do all that stuff anymore. I know, shit. I know most of the people that farm everything within 30 miles of here, each, any direction. I know most every farmer, and so do you know Justin, the get the got another guy that outfits down here. He does too. We've been doing it too long. Yeah, well, Oklahoma. I know most of the farmers. You know, anywhere within 20 miles of Hobart, I know just about every farmer and where they farm and what's what's theirs, what's some what's not theirs. Yeah,
0: so that's like up here. Since I'm I'm a mechanic, John Deere mechanic, I get. I know pretty much everyone for the most part. I know most of the farmers, most of the landowners. So if I find something in this area, I'm usually pretty good to go because there's a good chance that I've worked on something or theirs. And right. most of the time it pays off. But, like, once we go over to North Dakota to do our snow goose hunting and whatnot, it's like going in blind because even with Onyx, you got their name. Well, you don't have their number. And lots of times they have a peel box or their address. So it's pretty hard to, you know, find their door to knock on.
1: You miserable, most, miserable time. Anytime. you. Yeah all that shit i i do not miss any of that you sell this white hair and shit i'm only 25 years old i look like this <laughs> because i've been because of scouting and shit but yeah i don't i do not miss that at all that's a miserable time and the guys that do that uh, i feel sorry for them
0: yeah them uh the outfitters that snow goose hunt from arkansas all the way up or we were spending your whole time knocking on doors and just chasing them i can't imagine doing that that would be
1: i would pull my hair out and quit if you want to be a life insurance salesman you, or an insurance salesman, you need to start out as a goose guide because you're told so many fucking times by people in the middle of places you don't know. Then being a, an insurance guy where nine out of ten people are going to tell you to piss off and get away, no problem at all. You're used to it. I can tell you this much. The key to that is being nice to people. <clears throat> if someone tells you no, you find something nice to say to them. Talk about something in their yard. You talk about their house. You come up with something nice to say. And a lot of times, if you could ever break that bond of them being an asshole or not wanting anything to do with you or whatever it is, you can get into them if you're just nice to people. We had the, yeah. we, we had on the biggest peckerhead in a little town in North Dakota. Everybody, the locals, he wouldn't let nobody hunt with him. And we had a bearing go on a truck tire. And he had to give me a ride to town. And I got to visit him with him. He hated goose hunters and didn't want to jack with them, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? He let us do before we left. He let us hunt because I made friends with him and visited with him. And I've done that a lot of times. Just find something in common, you know? They got a Wyoming cowboy in their front yard. Talk about the Wyoming Cowboys. Talk about Finnis Dimbo, who played basketball there in 1988 or something. Come up with some shit. You know, if you got to get on your phone and look up University of Wyoming to find something, try to find some common ground. And that will help a lot because, yeah. It's pretty nice. I mean, but you got to think these farmers get dealt with all kinds of jackasses asking shit all the time.
0: A good little tip. I found this out, and it was really simple because I'm a John Deere mechanic. But 90% of them farmers will have an old broke-down John Deere tractor or something sitting in their front yard that was their great-grandpas from way back in the day. If you can see what model that is and you know any little bit about it, you can. that's always something to start to chat about. That old tractor, was that your grandpa's? Was that your dad's? Yep. I think that was the coolest old tractor. That's a John Deere Model B. That's my favorite tractor growing up. I had five of those as a toy when I was a kid, and that always starts the conversation. So yep. even if you don't know anything, just learn a little bit about John Deere tractors because most of them have one.
1: You break the ice. That's all you got to do. Mm. You know? And if you can ever find that common ground, boy, what's bad is if you bring something up you think's going to be common ground and it's something they don't like, you're all fuck over there.
0: Yeah, my ex-wife left that Wyoming cowboy in the front yard before she left with my kids.
1: Yeah, Yes, yeah, not... yeah, something like that shit, and they were like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, she should never, she should never marry that bitch in the first place. You know what else she gonna say? She's nothing to say.
0: Yeah, I had, I had one. So when we were hunting, me and my cousin, when we first started out, we were always hunting with older guys because we were the young, we were the young ones. We were learning. Well, it's a lot easier to send in two baby face kids to ask for permission to hunt than a couple old guys with beards and beat up trucks and stuff. You got a couple young kids. Sometimes. The, yeah, up to a point. If you come in looking like an asshole, it's a different thing. They're gonna think these snot-nosed shithead
1: kids. But I mean, we're all. If you have anyways, kids, young kids like eight or nine, that's a good move because they feel sorry for your kids.
0: I got my four-year-old. Whenever I ask permission,
1: I know it's gonna be sketchy. I always have him in the back seat. Yes, that is a good. Th- oh, you're gonna take your son hunting. That's really good. You yeah. know, I borrow kids in town sometimes. Like, can your kids? Quick, on to ask somebody something?
0: Anyway, so we went into this. Or I went into this house. I was My cousin stayed in the pickup. It was one of those guys that as soon as I knocked on the door, he said, oh, come in, come in, come in, come in, or whatever. So I came in. Well, it was – I can't remember why it was brought up, but there was like a mangy-looking barn cat was like in the yard and like jumped up on my pickup. And I, I said something about, oh, your barn cat jumped up on my pickup. He's like, oh, that piece of shit, or something like that. And I said, yeah, I fucking hate cats. And as I said, that three fucking cats walked out of his living room. He's this big old <laughs> cat head, and he just kind of looked at me and said, oh, I don't mind cats. What are you here for? It's he like, oh, I was gonna see if we could uh, goose on this field. No, I was like, okay, so yeah, that was it. So he was saying it as a joke, you know, like I would say, oh, that dog's a shithead. No, he actually liked his cat. So you got,
1: and that happens sometimes, just bad timing. I guess. Is there anything else going on, or? Anything that yep. you would like to discuss? Gonna be in uh, Bass Classic in Knoxville, Tennessee, the last weekend in March with Boss. Come by and see me and Andy. Michelle will be there. Uh be there, be at uh I'll be at Ducks Expo in Dallas, and I think that's May 5th. And then I'll be at Squad Fest and with with Dive Bomb, or we'll be there. be in Delta. Me and Andy will be one of us will be at least at one of them. We'll be at Delta and we'll be at Squad Fest with Boss. And that's really basically it. It's my summer other than traveling, just doing some hunting shows. And um we got a couple of big announcements we're fixing to release on our podcast, the Big Honker Podcast. We'll have it out probably in the next a bunch of news out in the next two weeks on some new things we got coming on.
0: Well, thanks. Thanks a ton for going on. And guys, go check out the Big Honker Podcast. I'm sure all of you that listen to this already listen to that.
1: Go well, we, check it we, out.
0: Check out the YouTube page and stay in tune for their announcements. Um yeah. Again, thanks for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. So I hope you have a good rest of your night and, uh, I guess, good weekend rolling in here.
1: Hey, thank you, Garrett. God bless you and your family. Take care of that little boy. If there's anything we can do for you, let us know.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. You Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye.